RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Thursday morning at RCR, it's, of course, Money Talks Thursday morning with Farzan Arani, very popular Thursday feature here at RCR. Farzan, good to hear from you again. Here we go again to join the Money Dots. <laughs> good morning, Paul. Good morning to the listeners as well. Hopefully everyone's enjoying what we're discussing and sharing with them. Well, the impression I get is that many are having their eyes opened, possibly for the first time, to the bigger picture and are appreciative of the information. Is it my imagination or have I been noticing announcements of large job losses recently? Yes, you're correct. Uh, it is happening. And um, people will start noticing more of that, right? So people are going to lose jobs. Um, and they'll tell us that it's because of inflation and interest rates going up. Uh, this is unfortunately the times we're in. Um, I think I mentioned last week, um, buckle down and have savings and liquidity and uh, be prepared um, for a rainy day, so to speak. But yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I read some article on um, in, about New Zealand. This is um, about I don't know how to exactly pronounce it, but De Fatuora, and they said that the country's largest employer, which I didn't know, and this is in New Zealand in the health sector, where supposedly yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the health ministry, I think, in the um, you know the health the government health infrastructure. Yeah, De Fatuora. Yeah, yeah, and they're supposedly getting rid of three hundred twenty to full time jobs. And they say it's back office and all that kind of stuff. So the front line is not going to be affected. But it's funny that in the same uh, article, they mentioned that they have 8,000 nurses, but they still need another 1,600. So they, they they have a shortage of nurses and front uh, line staff. So they get rid of management and other tiers. Um, so the high paying jobs in um, those sectors are going to be going. But I noticed one sentence and then I I want to bring about this this themes in some of these articles where the last paragraph they'll put a sentence in there and if you are smart enough to read and understand exactly what they're trying to say and in this article they said it's cost savings by centralizing the health system so we've been talking about them centralizing everything so slowly we're moving towards a centralized government centralized health board centralized everything right which is again centralized right cbdc so that's that's a key word in that you think yeah centralizing the health system what was three waters they're trying to centralize everything so they can control it from a central point okay so they get rid of people on the i don't know, guess the periphery of the organization even though they still need all those nurses which they mandated out so then it doesn't yeah. make any sense <laughs> at all so they're what they're not uh they're not bringing jobs into the center they're cutting all the jobs on the periphery and keeping the jobs in the center is that is that that's what, that what it said yeah so they're saying we have about eight eight thousand nurses and doctors and frontline staff and we're getting rid of management layers uh, because if 25 people could do the same job behind we'll only need two people now because we're going to centralize these roles uh, so imagine the one manager who now has to run maybe 100 200 staff underneath them instead of one person running 25, 30 staff underneath them. Right. So that's their logic of it all, uh, because obviously they're short on cash as well. So they get rid of the guys who are getting paid more. Um, and yeah, they're saying it's not going to affect the front line, but we know over the last two years, it's already affecting the front line because people were mandated 
to take vaccines and people who had to keep their jobs and took these vaccines are falling sick. So some people are dropping out. And then what do we do? We open our borders to international staff coming in. International I saw, doctors and nurses. You just reminded me the other day in Wellington, I saw a double-decker bus driving along and it was full of guys in high-vis vests. And they all looked like they'd come from maybe the Philippines. And the bus was full. So a double-decker bus takes about 70 people, 80 people, right? And I, and I, and I clicked. They're all being taught how to drive buses. Yeah. That buses, means, trucks, you know, now well. no one begrudges a, 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 an opportunity or a job anywhere for anyone, no matter where they come from. I get that. But uh, that just shows you the scale. And I was wondering, um, there were no... <laughs> no New Zealanders on board. <laughs> no, because the say. pay is so low. The pay is so low. New Zealanders know they can't survive. And I think in one of our previous chats, I mentioned this is how people overseas, uh, maybe in developing countries, will want to see New Zealand as a better place. Obviously, because if they earn and save out here, the New Zealand dollar converts a lot into their currency so they can save, send that money savings home. Right. I've seen a lot of Philippine drivers um, also in trucks. Uh, there's bigger trucks that are being driven for your countdowns and futons. Um, and they're also hairdressers, supposedly. A lot hairdressers. of Filipino hairdressers. Yes, yes, oh, yes. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, about a year and a half back, um, I was looking for a place on the North Shore, and I'll give you one more example. Uh, about a year back, not a year and a half back, uh, I was looking for rental property, and uh, the real estate agent was showing the property to all of us, and there were two families who were from South India. And uh, there were two properties actually being rented out right next to each other. And she said to me, hey, Fazan, like you, you'll be a great tenant, but can I give it to these two families? Because they know each other from South India. One's a doctor and the other family was uh, both husband and wife were nurses. And they just literally moved to New Zealand, I think about two weeks back. Yeah. We're living in an Airbnb because the two families knew each other. So she wanted to rent out both the properties because they were right next to each other and they both had kids. So they could look after each other and they know each other well in a new country. And yeah. I just spoke to them in Hindi and I said, what, what's going on? They said, oh, we got this, you know, we came on a tourist visa two weeks back. We've literally been given a work visa on arrival, and now we're being fast-tracked. Okay, so there's a desperation to get people in here and working. That was a year back, Paul. Okay, a year ago. Gee. A year ago. So they are being offered quick transitioning, so the government can plug in holes where there are so the people don't realize. But that's through immigration. The skilled staff are leaving, or the skilled staff who are mandated, or there's a lot of nurses and doctors who quit, right? They're not going back into the system because no, they, they don't trust, trust the it. system. They, they don't, don't trust, trust the it. system anymore. No. So you can only get suckers from overseas because you're paying them New Zealand dollar. And the New Zealand dollar is about, one New Zealand dollar is about 50, averaging around the 50 Indian rupee mark, just to give you an example. So if they save, husband and wife can save, I don't know, uh, $1,000 a month, that's 50 grand out there. That's pretty much your monthly salary out there. Yeah. Wow. So that's a lot of savings for them. So these kind of people will be get will be getting suckered into here. And I think I was talking to someone the other day who's a police officer, and he said the way wages aren't that good still. They've they've given us pay rises, but they aren't good. I think right. back in the days it used to be fifty five or sixty k. How do you survive on those kind of? Not numbers? now. I'm talking about twenty years back, but still. Yeah. Well, if you've got a family. Yeah. How do uh, you survive? How do you, you know, survive? So do you think, uh, okay, so 
there's Tefatu Aura um, kicking out however many hundred. Um, are we? And I think there are some more that I've seen too, but I just can't remember them off the top. I've, of I, I can. I've, I've also. Um, th- there's a lot happening, right? So it's that in New Zealand, uh, in Australia. I was reading something on the weekend when we talk about the housing market and all that stuff as well. As I said, everything has a roll-on effect. So as interest rates are going up and people are borrowing less or not flipping houses as much, in Australia, there was a 75% jump in developers and builders liquidating and collapsing. So some number I'd written down, it was 2,117. Right. That's a lot of yeah. developers and builders going under. In just is, that, is that distributed through the country? Can you tell? Or is that just in some areas? No, that was through the country. But that's a 75% jump in 2023 yeah. alone. So you can just imagine what's happening. Um, towards the end, maybe I also want to, last week I said something, don't stand in front of a train. So I just want to give people some kind of timelines about the global financial crisis so they can understand it's two, two and a half years, three years into the making where something starts collapsing. But when you said, when I was talking about these Australian numbers, the funny thing is also with the housing market, you'll just see governments start doing brain dead stuff because they want to create the problem themselves. So in Victoria, which is obviously your Melbournes and stuff, uh, in Victoria, the governments come out, the Labour governments come out and put a rent freeze for two years. So if you're an investor who, who was relying on that investment income, you now cannot increase your rent for two years. They're talking about it. A two-year freeze. Now, imagine with inflation going up. Let's say it was 10% year on year. Everything's getting more expensive. Your plumber, this, that, all that kind of stuff, or maintenance on the property and your interest rates. But you are not allowed to increase your rent? Because, yeah, well, um, yeah. Um, that happened in New Zealand back in the um, early 80s. There was a price freeze by the government. Mm-hmm. And that caused all sorts of weird distortions. You know, um, no one could raise any prices. So, you know, it's happened before. Um, that's in Victoria where Dan Andrews is the premier. He's known, I think he's known as um, dictator Dan. Well, he is. Um, <laughs> and probably for a good reason. Um, I think they've also recently come out and said any new build houses from maybe or in two or three years from now cannot have gas in yes. the house cannot yes have because gas. they're blaming gas now for the climate change yeah Mate, this week has been so interesting there's so many things we can take this to but just coming back to the rent freeze right so you put on a rent freeze suddenly everything's going up everything's costing you more as a landlord but you can't increase your rent for two years for two years you just have to shut up and just sit in there so the landlord has one or two options either he goes broke or he has to wait two years to do this if he has the cash flow or he has to put the property in the market now, that this announcement alone has uh, prompted 212,000 investment properties to come on the market. Now, can you imagine how this wow. snowballs out of effect? Now it's a tsunami, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that devalues so, all the properties. All the properties. Now, do you see how they're intentionally doing stuff? And talking about the rent freeze, as you said, this happened in the 70s or 80s. It's funny because the next thing, I think last week I mentioned capital controls, they will also put freezes on you not being able to increase the prices. So this rent freeze is the first one because it's the hot topic. They will say, let's say you can't increase the price of eggs past a certain point of foods or something, anything. Now, this happens in communist countries. And what happens is that if I'm producing something and my cost of producing that keeps going up, but if the government tells me I can't sell it more than a certain dollar amount, I'm not going to sell it at a loss. I'll just stop producing it. I'll go out of business. Yeah. 
and then you be, then you have a shortage. Then you have another shortage. So brain dead policies create more problems, and they know it. And we've discussed: are they purposely doing this? Maybe they are, or maybe you just need useful idiots in these kind of places where they think they're helping the people, but they're actually not. Well, the people probably, if they're not very well informed, probably think it's quite a good thing. Yes, because, the renters you know, will be cheering on, right? They'll be like, "Hey, yes, thank you so much." You know, yeah, we we can't keep up with the inflation because everything's getting so expensive. And so. there'll be a political bounce for a popularity for maybe and and look for something to happen in that case soon because there's an election really soon, and maybe uh, one lot is on the ropes right now, so they might want to pull stuff out of the hat. But uh, in the end, it just means shortages, really, doesn't it? There will be. And shortage means, again, the prices go up further. Yeah. The government can't do anything, mate. The government is not productive. It doesn't create anything useful. It's a leech on society, as I said, because it taxes us and then spends money or, let's say, wastes money on these things. As you said, how many rat deaths? How many? 500 million? Five, half a billion. Half, half a billion. billion. $500 million was wasted on rat deaths. Do they care? No, they just tax us. So the government is the most, um, I would say, useless. We need small governments yeah. just to protect our borders. But now there'll be more and more people on the government uh, role, and they'll suck the life out of us. Do people eventually say no more? But this is it. This is why landlords will give up. Um, productive businesses will give up because if I can't make a profit, why am I in business? Yeah, understand. Well, so if if the government gets to tell me how much I can sell it at, if my cost of production is higher than what I can sell it at, I'll just go out of business. I'll just shut up shop. Why waste my time and energy to make yeah, a loss? Yeah. Um, and it does seem that part of the strategy, historically anyway, to bring inflation under control is to squeeze labor out of the mar market, to drop the value of labor. And that's where you see those big redundancies right where you see hundreds getting getting kicked out of a place at, at at one time that that's the one as well but it was funny because this morning again um i think the reserve bank okay so i've explained to people what they've done right they've created money out of thin air during the uh covid um uh, lockdowns they locked us up governments just borrowed money threw it into the economy hand handouts and this and that and the cost of capital was taken close to zero. So in, in New Zealand, it was 0 0.25. And now they're quickly increasing interest rates because they created the inflation, but they're saying it's because of inflation. So it's not just big job losses. There's an article today saying um, they, they're hoping the unemployment rate has gone up just a little tiny bit, right? So they're hoping that if unemployment goes up further, that will bring inflation down. So the Reserve Bank is saying, hey, Paul, it's your fault that you are employed and you're going out and spending money. That is what the Reserve Bank, not the government, sorry, the Reserve Bank is saying, we would like to see the unemployment rate coming, uh, going higher, more people unemployed. This is the official reasoning of how they'll bring inflation down as well, along with interest rates, because the more people who are unemployed will now stop or curb their spending, but everyone needs a job to just survive. So... They just talk rubbish, mate. They, they they direct attention towards, oh, because people have so much money because they're employed. Employment is a basic necessity of life, to sustain life. And, and, and also, unemployment numbers higher. Can you when, when you that? increase unemployment, you lower 
the labor cost, right? So people get paid less. Ultimately. Yeah, because they're fighting for jobs, right? And that's why I said last week as well, I, I wouldn't go to a boss and say, give me a pay rise because, man, somebody else would be willing to, if they, if he was thinking about cutting one of the headcounts, I'd be on the chopping block because I bothered asking for a pay rise. So I'd rather not. I'd rather have the security of a job. And yes, it'll drive the prices down. So when, as an employer, if I'm advertising a role now, and if I see I used to only get 10 applications, now I'm getting 80 or 100, I reduce the amount I'm going to pay for that job. And this takes society lower and lower, and your standard of living drops. It's just silly, mate. They, they, they've created the problem themselves, but most people don't understand inflation or economics in general. And that's why the first two or three weeks, the first thing I tried to do was explain these, because once people get that the Reserve Bank and the government created the problem, and now they'll say, oh, because unemployment's so low. And I can, I've already told people, they're lying about the unemployment numbers as well. Because the difference is whether you're in full-time employment or whether you're doing three jobs just to keep a roof over your head and sustain your day-to-day expenses. So even companies keep advertising the same roles again and again and again. It's very easy to see. So they'll say, oh, the job adverts are up, but it's the same role being advertised again. I'll give you a quick example. When I used to work for, I don't know if I mentioned this in any of our previous chats, but when um, I was in Melbourne, I'd applied for a prominent bank, one of the big four roles as a, a senior relationship manager. Uh, and I had been shortlisted. I'd sent an, I'd been sent an online test, which I completed within a day or two. And then I got an email saying, hey, Farzan, you're ready for the next step, which is you and two others will be shortlisted for a job interview. I'm thinking, great. Um, I think two or three weeks pass, and I flick an email to the HR person, don't you're back in a week. I somehow call a couple of people and get her contact number. And I call her and I say, I got this about four weeks back. What's happening with the role? So think about this. Somebody's quit that job. There's a portfolio of banking commercial clients who need a relationship manager to look after their day-to-day banking needs, which the bank is trying to employ uh, a person for. So when I spoke to this HR person, I said, what's happened here? And this was going on back in, so this is about 2015, 2016. And she said to me, Fazan, I will deny it if you repeat it, but our bank's policy states that we have to interview at least one woman for the role. So you and a guy are fully qualified for the role, and you both have already been shortlisted for the role, but we have to be seen interviewing at least a woman. So we would just wait, we just keep advertising the role, waiting for a woman to apply. So she'll be oh, okay. the third person. Gee. So we just have to keep advertising the role so yep. we can be seen that we are gender, whatever, we, we're giving women opportunities. Diverse. Diverse and all of that. Or this whatever. was 2015, 2016, right? Keep that in yep. mind. Yep. And we're waiting for a woman just so she will apply so we can get her to the interview along with the two of you. We don't even care what her qualification is. Okay, so when you see job ads, that's what I said. It is not the real economy. Yep. There's rubbish happening behind the scenes. and just went on and on and on, mate. So... Obviously, I got headhunted somewhere else and I moved on. But this is the stupid brain dead stuff, which we've seen with the diversity and all that stuff happening as well. I don't know what we are talking about before I went off on this tangent, but that's what I'm saying. They're lying well, the, about the, the numbers, uh, they're lying about the employment. And what you've got me thinking there is that if you're just a um, <laughs> everyday guy, white guy, or just a guy now um, and doesn't have any of the diversity ticks that that you need good luck hey good luck 
Yeah, you're probably at the bottom of the of the stack now. Actually, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a man, a white man, you're in trouble uh, because yeah. they want. Well, me being uh, Indian would be seen favorable. Somebody seen as Indian and gay might be seen even more favorable. Or, or trans. Or, or trans. Yeah, exactly. It's just more ticking the boxes. If you get one employee who ticks all at least three or four or five boxes. Let's say I'm disabled or I'm I need help or something. Oh, disabled, look. trans. What else? Man, I read this. I read this thing um, this morning. A man in Japan, okay, has paid fourteen thousand dollars to become a dog. What? A dog. Okay. So, so I actually read through the whole story rather than the headlines. He paid fourteen thousand dollars to get a, his dog suit made so he could dress up, dress up as a dog and walk this, around the streets this is, this is because crazy, he wants man. to, when he was a kid, supposedly when he was a kid in school, he used to, his teachers used to say, what do you want to grow up and be? And he used to say, I want to be a dog and walk outside. Obviously he can walk outside on his own two feet, but he can't walk as a dog. Honestly, Google the story. So he's paid 14,000, whatever. For a is, suit. Which is like a million yen. Yes. And it, it looks quite real in some photos. What sort of breed? <laughs> uh, I, I'm just trying to think um, the little sheep uh, dog thing. I've just I, I could open the article right now, but I'll waste time. He, he doesn't go and sort of like hang around lampposts or anything, and, and there's not <laughs> someone walking behind him with a plastic bag. Is there? No, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't want people to know who he is, his real identity, uh, because he thinks his friends will think he's a weirdo. Which oh, we really? I'd say he's a weirdo, but my this is it. And I think I read something in New Zealand where. Um, some kid is trying to identify as a rabbit, so they sent out. Yeah, yeah that's, all the other- I've seen that story, and also kittens too. And they like to have the um, the kitty tray in the school toilets for those who are identifying as cats or kittens. This is <laughs> yeah. So you have to now. Ex- so the so the school sends you an email, and as a parent, you're trying to explain to your kid that one of his school kids, school mates has to be is not a boy or a girl but could be a kitten or a hare or a, yeah yeah i don't yeah. know dinosaur or whatever the hell it is at that point found, i'm pulling my kid out of the school i can tell you that <laughs> oh, mate, it's getting ridiculous there's i found this article so it's on the new york post yeah the breed is a border collie oh okay and he's gonna walk in public and he likes getting treats and uh it's just ridiculous mate um yeah yeah it seems like an over-the-top indulgence of fantasies Mm-hmm. And you're kind of expected to buy into it, and it's 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 weird. Okay, all right. And this is fourteen thousand US dollars, so it's two million yen. So it's obviously someone who has a lot of money, but is a bit brain dead or has some issues um, neck about that he wants to walk around as a dog. I don't know. Maybe he lifts his leg and places on the pole. I don't know. Might maybe the suit has an inbuilt way of doing that. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? It's it's a crazy. As long as he doesn't live in. try and sniff people in the wrong places. Anyway, that's a, <laughs> it's a bit, bit, bit the revolting. world is getting. But but these are people who have too much money to waste on some stupid rubbish. Or in uh, America, where the government's kind of endorsing that if a twelve or a fourteen year old kid wants to change their sex uh, and the parents stop, the government will pay for it or change their sex or do the puberty blockers. But the parents could be jailed. Yeah, um, for child abuse. Oh, child abuse, abusing your own child because you don't want at the age of 12 for them when they're not even sure. This is the clown world we're living uh, in. It is, Parsons. it is, it is. But this is uh, this is something I mentioned to someone on the weekend, right? They will distract you with clown stuff because you're wasting your energy then 
on arguing over this stupid stuff because everyone knows what a man is and what a woman is. But they have us distracted. So we don't focus on the banking. We don't focus on what is being signed off behind the scenes. And in Roman times, the same rubbish happened and they used to call it bread and circuses. As long as you keep the population fed and give them war games, which was your gladiators and all of that, you keep them distracted. You can pass policy behind the scenes. And that is exactly what's happening. Hopefully our listeners are switched on and they know what's coming. And yeah, it's been in the pipeline for a while. As I said, during the global financial crisis, the system broke down. They've kept it on a lifeline by reducing interest rates every time. They can't keep it hanging in there. We saw that in September 2019. So they threw COVID at us. Oh, well, let's just say, no, no, it wasn't a lab or it wasn't a because a bat met a snake and they fell in love. And they no, it was in a lab. Um, you know. Well, we know that. We know that. But how stupid, right? We know that now. If you said that two and a half years, Paul, you would be a conspiracy theorist. We know that now it was an alert. Oh, but hey, and done that. you speak the truth two years before everyone else does. You might be a nut job. Yeah. So well, the media is still, now, our local media is still calling people conspiracy theorists. They must know that that is the most threadbare um, label that you can put on anyone now. It's not even, I mean, it's, it's laughable. Um, uh, what I was thinking, though, because last week, I think uh, we touched on it. Um, I talked to... Uh, a guy in Brazil who had reversed engineered the code of the pilot of the central bank digital currency. And one thing he talked about um, in in our chat about that was already Brazil had an instant um, payment system going. And and this sort of just connects on to what we're just saying. You're saying distractions are being put in place to, so people's eye is taken off the ball. But in the meantime, that instant payment, so no delay in payment, right? As soon as you press the button, it's paid. There's no clearing of funds, nothing like that. Uh, it's instantaneous. You need to have that, don't you, to operate a central bank digital currency. And th- now, am I right that there's talk of getting that done now in New Zealand? Yes, you're absolutely correct. So there was an article again last week um, saying the RBNZ, is pushing up the timetable for real-time payments on the New Zealand banks. Um, And New Zealand and Israel are the only two countries who aren't there yet. Um, So the whole point, as I said, is the infrastructure has to be in place uh, for uh, CBDC. Uh, In the US, they passed this thing called FedNow, which is, again, the railroad system for the CBDC. Mm -hmm. And it happened in July. So most governments need that in place um just slowing it down a little bit it's already happening in other countries like india as well so they have google payments and all that so everyone turns up on your door let's say you order a parcel uh literally there's this thing called otp in banking in india it stands for one-time password so it's like an immediate four or six digit pin out there when you jump in an uber as well while i was there for six months i figured that this was different you jump into an Uber and the first thing they'll say is, what's the OTP? So to confirm that you are the person who's supposed to step into the Uber, you right. give them a six-digit PIN, which they then end, or four-digit PIN, that they enter into their Uber app, the driver does, and only then do they drive off to make sure you are the person who you say it is. So how does it know that you are the PIN number? Um, is that... Because is that- because my I get a notification saying my driver's downstairs, I step oh, right. down. I get an OTP, so it's it's called OTP, and it's used for everything in India. 
Okay, it's a one-time yeah. password, and they said so, it's so, so that's given to you when you make the booking, right? So that's yeah, yeah, like yeah. Thing. Or, or when it says not not when you make the booking, but essentially when it says your Uber is now waiting downstairs. All right, okay. Because if he doesn't turn up, then you might call another one. But yeah. this is an Uber example. I'll give you an example. Let's say I order something from Amazon, mm-hmm. and in India, this second highest population. So everything turns up within two, three hours of the day. Okay. We don't have to wait for two weeks out there for anything to show up. Everything turns up within a day or two. Um, So when the Amazon guy knocks on your door, rings your bell, the first thing he's going to ask you is for an OTP. So he presses something on his side saying, I'm at the door. Then you get an OTP. You've got to give him the four or six digit code and he hands the parcel over to you. So he's making sure, and they'll say this for security purposes to make sure it is what it is. But the other thing, it is a security feature. I'm not saying it isn't. But even in banking, so let's say if I transferred money to my sister in India, it'll send me a code saying, do you want to transfer this money? Or this much money has just gone out of your bank account. So it's sold as security. But all this stuff, instantaneous payments is already happening. In India, there's Google Pay. Uh, there's a thing called Razor Pay as well. Uh, uh, same version in China as WePay or something like that as well. So they will integrate all of this. New Zealand's not there yet. I remember once upon a time, New Zealand used to be at the forefront of this because we were owned by Australian banks. And I'd asked one of our senior executives when I used to work for BNZ. And I said, why are we ahead? Well, like if Australia is so big and so rich and we're owned by an Australian parent. And he said to me, because New Zealand's small. So when a bank wants to trial something, it'll try it in New Zealand first. Um, see what works, what didn't work, and then the product is launched in Australia. So we learn from our mistakes. And because New Zealand's small, it's like a guinea pig in a way. From a smaller mistake if it goes wrong. Yeah. Smaller mistake if it goes wrong, and then the technology can be uh, changed and this and that, and then it could be launched into Australia. But it seems with this CBDC rollout and the RBNZ hushing along the New Zealand banks, I think the New Zealand banks are wide awake to what is coming because we don't need banks, as we said, if central bank digital currency comes up. And these real-time payments are actually being done by an organization called New Zealand Payments or something along those lines. Don't quote me again on this, which is funded by the banks. So, of course, they're going to drag their feet. And this morning then, this was last week, and this morning there's an article on there by the Commerce Commission. We want to boost options for making in-person payments directly between bank accounts. So this is it. How do they sell you the CBDC? And I would highlight these two words to our audiences. They're going to keep using this innovation and inclusion right pay attention if you read this in an article you know what they're trying to say they're innovating to make it all easy and include everyone in this system innovation and inclusion are the magic words so when you talk about this guy the cbdc code and real-time payments yes they're trying in fact can i just touch on one other thing so people can just because i've written this down i read an article also on the weekend when New Zealand and australia are now talking about They call it ABC, Automated Border Crossing. Have you come across that article? Uh, Yes, I I think I've heard a bit about this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so no passports required, Paul, anymore. We just want to make it easy. And and I just remember this because innovation innovation and inclusion, right? Inclusion, yeah, yeah. So Trans-Tasman borders are a test case, according to them. They're setting up a task force by August, and they want a seamless transition before end of year. Guess what they're going to use? Facial recognition. Uh, There you go. You don't need a passport anymore, Paul. Let us just use your face. Oh, so dear. They're getting things in place. They'll say it's for ease. So if you want to go to Australia, mate, don't carry your passport with you. Just, just let us scan your face when you come in and go out. And now this is a test case between Australia and New Zealand. And in Europe, they might already be doing this. 
And now when you have CBDC, you turn up at the airport, guess what happens? You can't fly out. Because it might be blocked. Because it recognizes you, right? Well, facial you're recognition, the, yeah. You you're already in the system. Anymore. So they're saying, we just want to make it easy for Australian and New Zealand citizens. But it's already easy. Yeah, it is. Oh, no, no, we're just trying to make it all quick. Okay, so you will save me three minutes by me not scanning my passport through an intelligent machine anyways right now, by you scanning my face. But what if a flight is delayed by an hour? People need to start thinking this. They're going to sell you as easy, convenient. Oh, you saved me three minutes. Thank you very much. But the flight's delayed due to weather by an hour. Yeah. Don't go for the easy And, and also, you've got my face in your bloody database. Forever. What are you going to do with that information? Where exactly. does it go? Exactly. Oh, it's already Who do you sell it to? It's already happening. You walk around the CBD, there's cameras everywhere. You've seen the social credit system scoring in China. There's cameras everywhere. They have your facial recognition. You can see three or four years out what's coming. Yeah, I saw a video recently in China of a guy who had to put his face up against the uh, at the uh, petrol station against the pump for it to dispense the pe petrol. Yeah, because your face otherwise it wouldn't work. Your face or your fingerprint will be used for the CBDC, as we've already said, to confirm your identity, Paul. That is for your own security, right? Otherwise, someone yeah. else could go and take money out of your bank account. So for you to use CBDC... Yeah, that happens all the time. And now let's connect the dots. For you to use CBDC, it's one central system. Your health records are in there. Your fingerprints in there. Your facial recognition's in there. Now all I need to do to punish you is switch it off. Yeah. Okay. And it, that could be for any reason. Any reason. Absolutely. Like, um, you're not fit enough, Paul. <laughs> you just say too many steaks, Paul. Hey, yeah, you yeah. talk so on no the more... radio and you tell people the truth, Paul. You're naughty boy. You should yeah. tell people the truth, okay? You're not allowed and... to catch this bus. No, or, and, um... and, and, and this yeah. articles will happen in New Zealand and Australia as well, because in Australia on the weekend as well, there was an article about uh, them pushing. They, they clearly, at least in Australia, they, they clearly say cashless society because uh, this was a figure I've written down. Cash users was 70% in Australia in 2007. And it's dropped to 13% in 2022. So, hey, yeah. people aren't using cash. What's the point? Let's stop this wastage. No one's no one's using cash anyway. So what's the point? So they create a pandemic. They create habits for people to sit at home, order everything online. Behaviors change over two, three, four years. Suddenly, there's a massive drop from 70% to 13%. And they're saying, no one's using cash. What's the point, guys? Let's just get rid of it. And again, something in Europe is uh, uh, Christine Lagarde, who's the uh, head of the EU Central Bank. They now want to, their CBDC is, they're pretty much pushing for it to be launched pretty damn quickly. Because as I yeah. said, that's where you see the breaking points there in Japan. Um, that she's saying, oh, under about 100 euros or 50 euros, we won't bother. But about that, we'll know exactly what you're doing. So they will know exactly what you're buying, why you're buying, why, what are you consuming. and what Over a certain purchase amount. Yeah, so right? it would be 50 euros. Under 50, they can't be bothered, Paul. But above 50 euros, they'll know everything you consume. Well, and maybe and that, once that yeah. threshold's put in, maybe they put it at 100 euros or 100 New Zealand dollars, sorry, or 200 New Zealand dollars. What's stopping them immediately then going saying, oh, people are buying drugs for that amount, so we're going to reduce it to $25 million. What are you going to do? 
The system's already yeah. in place. They, they certainly love to use the drugs thing, the money laundering on drugs as as the uh, as the safety uh, excuse. Though no one's ever told me how much money's being laundered through drug transactions. I'm sure it's a bit, but you know, is it enough? It's, to, it's funny you know, when government fights something, they never win. There used to be, um, I think the US government had a war on drugs. And about 40 years later, they still haven't won the war on drugs, right? No. Then there no. was a war on uh, homelessness. In fact, there was homelessness in Africa and countries. They've now brought homelessness to their countries. Um, then there was a war on terror. Now, there was another thing in there because they thought, when you generally, when you think about war tactics, right? When you have a war, let's say right now what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, you have an enemy, you have one enemy. You're going to war with Ukraine, you either defeat them or you don't. But if you have a war on terror, it's ongoing. Yeah, never stops. You can never win it because you can't name. Anyone could be a terrorist. But you don't want to win it. You don't want to win it, exactly, because the inner cronies keep getting, um, yeah, make, keep making money and stuff like that. It, so, it's like the um, Russia-Ukraine war. No one, it's very Orwellian. It's As long as there's a conflict that's running, that's the, the license to print money on endless um, purchasing of, of weaponry and et cetera, et cetera, and the ability to launder great amounts of money too across international um, borders is is there. That is such an incentive to keep a war going. They say all you don't want to stop. No, of course not. All wars are bankers' wars. There's a saying out there: all all wars are bankers' wars. Whether it was World War One or World War Two, the banks were funding both sides. It doesn't matter who wins; the banks win because the country now owes money to the bank. And I can tell people this: uh, there was an article I can't remember about a week, week and a half back, um, where Ukraine and Zelensky has said, "Oh, after the war." I think BlackRock and JP Morgan are already uh, in Ukraine. And they're saying when 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 this war is over, we'll help rebuild all the infrastructure and all of that. So they'll create yeah. bonds out of thin air again and stuff. So people who know what's going on understand it's a proxy war. Now, are you trying to tell me America is so powerful and they could not defeat uh, sheep herders in Afghanistan for 12 years? Really? Yeah. yeah. Sheep herders? When you have the best military in the world? Um, so it was supposed to be sustained. Now let's not go into detail because we're getting into politics. Yeah. But yeah, they're all bankers' wars. They make money. Everyone wins. Um, well, they win. Countries get poorer. They destroy infrastructure, and then they get an opportunity to and people die and rebuild it. And that is the in class. huge numbers in this case. I, I, which politician takes a gun and goes to the front lines? Never. Or, or any of their family. None. Any of their family. Zero. None. None. And people will start drafting people into this. When, when World War III starts, countries will force, and I can tell you this in certain countries without going into detail about which country, they have increased the age for you to join the military. In fact, it's funny. Uh, I, I'm just going to stop at that. So just think, why have countries started increasing the intake age already? in some parts of Europe. Uh, but I read this also. Diversity and inclusion, Farzan. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say that's the case. But did you know, I'm not sure most of our listeners knew this, that 30,000 New Zealand um, uh, military or whatever are supposedly in Queensland right now doing war games. Did yes. you know that? Yes, yeah. I knew the war games were on. When was the last time New Zealand was at war, mate? Why do they yeah. need war games? And I'm surprised we have that many personnel available actually yeah. 
I'm surprised as well. So these would be everyone, right? Everyone who's even said, I want to be a part-time just because they thought they're helping the country because they used to go to rescue missions and floods or somewhere in Fiji or something like that. Humanitarian purposes, now they're getting drafted into these kind of things. But why does New Zealand, Australia, UK, America need to have war games in Queensland? Yeah, so who's the enemy? Coming. Well, who's the know, enemy? I told you, East versus West. There's World War Three. If people want to believe me, believe me. Um, but it is coming. People who know what's coming, is they, they already know. Um, the war will be escalated. Anyone seen that movie um, that's come out into the movies right now about the nuclear bomb? Um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it just said the movies now. True story about this guy who created the, he's a father. Oh, Oppenheimer. The Oppenheimer, that's the yeah, one. Yeah, and um, the, 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 um, the um, what was the name of the... Um... The invent of the nuclear bomb, the Hiroshima yeah. Nagasaki nuclear bomb and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Once you create the technology, they take it off your hands. You don't get to control what, what the government does with it. But anyways, let's come back. Let's get away. Uh, well, I, well, I can tell you just, just on that, that I actually met the guy who flew the plane who dropped the bomb. Wow. In Hiroshima. And I've actually been inside the plane that they dropped the bomb from, the Enola Gay. So there you go. And I even got to ask him why he volunteered to fly the mission. And he told me, son, so no one else would ever have to. But that wasn't true because they did Nagasaki after that. But um, yeah. yeah. They, and they show that in the end of the movie as well, right? If it was just a deterrent, why did you have to drop the other one? And right, uh, they, this is the show the who's pat boss. <laughs> patriotism that they have to use. So this is why in the media... Russia is the bad guy. Russia is the bad guy. And at the start, I know in America, people used to have Ukraine flags outside their houses. Now they've realized this is just going to keep going. And a lot of people in America also waking up saying this is not nothing to do with America. Uh, why are we spending our troops and our money and getting our country in debt? Why are the Ukraine Bidens? Why are they in there? It's funny you say that because this morning I read an article saying the key witness against Hunter Biden, who's going to testify in Congress about two days from now, the Department yeah, of Justice yeah. is trying to jail him because in two days he he gets in front of Congress. It's just magical how the timing works and the corruption. At ah, oh, mate, it just these are times. What, what's in Ukraine that the Biden family don't want anyone to see? It's okay. It's uh, the other thing is it is it has the highest level of surrogacy yeah. in the world. There's, there's so there are wounds around everywhere. It's a nightmare. Yeah. It's a mess. It is. It is the most corrupt country in Europe, if not the world. Apparently, yeah, and if you openly got, saying that, if right? you've got a Ukrainian flag on your um, social media handle, maybe it's time to remove it. Yeah, it's going to be on the wrong side of history. I, I wrong think. side of history, exactly, exactly, yeah. mate. Okay, well, um, that's been another good chat. We've ranged over quite a few things, and I guess people really need to just be looking for the signs now. Um, yeah, they should, and I think if people start are connecting the dots. I have a few people reaching out to me. Please do if you want to, and if I can help you, I'll try my best. Uh, it's at success successsimplified.life. I appreciate yep. the people who have gotten in touch with me. I'm just trying my best to help from a financial side, um, help them protect their assets to make it to the other end. Of course, yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of kind of like shooting the gap. Um, there were a few questions. Maybe they came through to you uh, regarding KiwiSaver, but I know that you don't like to offer up advice in these chats because that's not what they're about. You're not no, here to give it's personal, personal advice over I the can't, phone. Yeah. I can't, not over the radio, mate. Yeah. This is, uh, I'll just tell people, the, okay, another tip just on KiwiSaver, I'll just tell most people I speak to, 
the first thing you want to do is know what your KiwiSafe is invested in. There's 80% of people don't even know that when I ask them the question, who's your provider? Uh, I'm not sure. Then if some of them know their provider, what is it invested in? I don't know. So mm. generally in New Zealand, there's three layers. I think there's your, again, it depends on who you're with. First, find that out. Make sure you have a login and everything ready. Um, and then um, there might be a an aggressive uh, option. There might be a balanced function and there might be a cash option. Some of them might provide four or five. Um, some of them might allow a more in-depth one. So based on what we've been talking about, this is not making me personal financial advice. If you think you don't want to be in the aggressive, maybe moved into the balance of the cash. That's again, not personal advice. Or if you think, um, yeah, interest rates are going to drop, then you want to get into the aggressive. That is a personal choice. I can't give that on the radio, but just simple example. If you look at KiwiSaver, um, first decide what asset type you want to put it in. So during COVID, if people were in the aggressive function in March 2020, the share market dropped by 40, 50%. Your super was 100. It halved if it dropped yeah. by 50% because you were in aggressive shares. Yes, it recovered three months later, but yeah. if you were that smart enough. But if you pulled it out thinking it's crashing and you're not a hedge fund manager who knows what's oh, good. Money, the government <laughs> start printing money, you lost 50%, now put it in cash. And now when everyone else recovered, you're still sitting at 50%. So again, it depends on timing. It, most people aren't that smart to just move in and out. Yeah. So I'd say keep it in a safer option if you can. Speak to your own financial planner. Again, I know they're all going to be bank rubbish. They're going to sell you. So sometimes people are just better off. They, they say to me, I just think I'm better off speaking to you and then me and my wife can discuss it rather than going to a bank financial planner because he's just going to spindle this and sell me what the bank wants. Of course, of course. Yeah. So we'll use our common sense after getting all the information off you and all that kind of stuff as well. But again, in those cases, I'm not giving personal financial advice. I'm saying if this happens, think through what happens then. If this happens, think through what happens then. So it's just the average person who's an engineer might not know much about banking or how economic market works. Um, in fact, something, just a quick one. We'll talk about this next week if you want. Uh, something like an inverted yield curve. And I was reading up on it. They're starting to tell you a little bit in New Zealand on the news. But an inverted yield curve every time has been the sign of a recession, a big bang. Okay. Um, so um, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that just for people to understand what that is and what that kind of predicts. And okay. um, just, just, just something basic stuff. And I'll see what else I can find in the world. Um, to bring to people's attention from a money talk perspective. Okay, Thousand, and if people want to get in contact, what was that um, that address again? Just yes, just, uh, just dub dub dub. Uh, the website is successsimplified.life. And flick me an email. Um, give me a little one paragraph, and I'll see if I can get in touch with you. Money talks with Farzan Arani. We'll do it again next Thursday, Farzan. Thanks again. Loving it, mate. Cheers. Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.